2: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guests to review the five things from any time in their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. Well, four things they cherish and wish to keep safe, but also one thing they rather wish they could banish from their life, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to contemplate or own up to again. My guest in this episode is the actor Alex McQueen. Having gained a first degree in English at Durham University and then a masters at Pembroke College, Cambridge, Alex trained as a barrister at the Middle Temple in London. Fortunately for us, this sign of great intelligence didn't last forever and he became an actor. And he's been doing it pretty much full time ever since. He was the anaesthetist Keith Green in 75 episodes of Holby City and the advisor to the Prime Minister in the political satire The Thick of It. He's also been in over 40 films, including The Hide, In the Loop, A Very British Cult, Four Lions, The In-Betweeners Movie, Youth with Sir Michael Caine, Gambit... Jack the Giant Slayer, Cinderella, Slaughterhouse Rules and Horrible Histories, Rotten Romans. On TV, he's been in Peep Show, The IT Crowd, Casualty, The Wrong Door, Lead Balloon, Outnumbered, Miranda, Black Mirror, This Is England, Hunderby, Pleds, Peaky Blinders, Silent Witness, The Durrells and The Trial of Christine Keeler, to name a few. So, if you haven't noticed that Alex is ubiquitous... It's because he's so good at looking right in every role he plays. I am delighted to be able to bring you the five things that Alex McQueen would like to put in his time capsule. Lovely, Alex. We're going to put some things into a time capsule. Five things from your life, that's all. Yes. All right, so what do you think you'd like to put in first?
3: I think I would probably put in the... um entire carry-on collection. (laughs) I think the the carry-on films have always been something that I've responded to with huge affection. I'm well aware that they have a variety of, uh, well, the spectrum of quality is vast. There's probably (laughs) about five or six that I think I would happily watch To this day, and I still do. I do. I I really enjoy them, Mm -hmm. Um, but they do. The the reason I would put them in to the capsule is because they're close to me. For the following reasons, one, Mm -hmm. it always reminds me of Christmas. I think Uh, the carry-ons and Christmas were sort of hand in hand when I was growing up partly because we didn't have a TV when we were growing up. We didn't have a TV in the house. It was just a sort of policy that our family did not have a TV during <clears throat> the school term. So the local convent would give us the TV that belonged to them for the Christmas holidays.
1: <laughs> so it was
3: this it was this tremendous gift, basically, of fun um, that would arrive at Christmas. And the carry-ons was something that I... Uh, equate with that era mm. hugely so it's, it reminds me of my childhood christmases mm. in, in part but also it really was one of the reasons why i thought i want to become an actor it wasn't because i thought oh look at the quality of these performances even though actually i think they are really really great in, yeah. in comic terms uh, but i i couldn't quite credit the fact that grown men and women were making a living and making money out of being so damn stupid so that's really what I thought well if, if that's allowed, if that's something one can do with one's life Yes. I I must try and do it.
0: The fun of it, you could see the fun they were having.
3: Precisely, yes. There was, the, there was the sheer physical fun of their performances. But also, these were the first shows I was watching on telly, and I couldn't believe that people got paid to do that. I didn't know it existed as a sort of living, I suppose. So the carry-ons were quite a, an instrumental piece of my development, I suppose, if that's the right word, in inspiring me to want to become an actor. I think, yeah. Mm. So that's why I have a very close affection for them as a brand. In particular, Kenneth Williams, at his peak powers, he's a genius in mm. here, yeah, really. I think, <laughs> I mean, he, he's sort of seen as this crude vaudevillian, but he's not at all. He's His ability to fire through thousands of emotions very quickly during one sort of performance is it's outstanding I think so I think he's because he's so funny and because he's sort of so silly we don't recognize the fact that there's a huge amount of technology behind that Mm. that is really really precise and absolutely first class
0: you spotted that as a child then do you think you actually spotted those details because it is a very detailed performance isn't it
3: well, no, I couldn't claim, I suppose, as a child to have thought, oh, I know why he's a good actor because he's got all. No, it was just, I suppose I just responded to the fact that it was such a colourful performance. Everything mm. he did was so. It was There was such a lot going on. Mm. I find that fascinating. And I also find it fascinating that he's not viewed in any way, in shape or form, as a sort of Gilgood or an Olivier or, or a Ralph Richardson or anyone like that. And yet, his impact is, I would say, potentially far greater and that we still, he looms large in the minds of people to mm. this day in a way that your Ralph Richardson's, etc. might not really. And no. I think he'd be absolutely thrilled to look down and, and see how he is still remembered and he's on television all the time, so... Um, and
0: sadly, towards the end of his life, he clearly didn't think that. He felt that oh, no. he was fading away and nobody cared about him. Because his very tragic end to his life, really, isn't it?
3: Exactly. I mean, he's—it's very sadly ironic that he never really felt the pleasure of the impact he had on people. I think, no. yeah. So the Carry Ons and, in particular, Kenneth Williams—they really did make me want to become an actor. And certainly, if not become an actor, certainly not have to work for a living. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You yes, not have know. that much fun. I to <laughs> have a part of that. Definitely. Yes,
0: well, would you say though that your parents? in the act of not letting you have a television through term time, did a good thing or a bad thing, did you then come to Christmas when the nuns gave you the television and just never leave it, just satiate yourself with them?
3: Absolutely. I I would do 12-hour stints in front of this magical (laughs) box and loved every single second of it. Um, I mean, the only things that would be desperately boring were when my father wanted to watch the news that was always seen as a <laughs> dreadful dreadful why would you want to watch the news but um i'm very grateful that we didn't have the tv on reflection because i think it made a it made it a a treat when it came round obviously but i think it also meant restricted our viewing habits into we weren't watching everything all the time it was metered doses mm. i suppose of 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 material and that made it more uh made it more potent perhaps i don't know um what i will say is i wasn't happy at the time to have to see it go back at the end of the sort of christmas holiday and not to be able to interact at school with Mm. my friends who were watching tv programs and talking about doctor who or the bill or whatever it may have been i sometimes found that a little bit sort of well, certainly frustrating and a little bit isolating, perhaps. But in terms of the balance, now I'm really pleased we didn't have it as a sort of routine. It had a special... It occupied a special place, I suppose. Mm. So that's... I'm fundamentally grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. It yes. Certainly
0: it made the Christmas holidays seem special.
3: It was. It did. It, it had a profound impact. I can remember, yeah, watching Towering Inferno and uh, <laughs> all sorts of things as I think about it now. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's the world of the carry-ons i would say and the uh, yes we'll
0: definitely put the carry-ons in there please thank you Uh, do you have a particular favorite
3: i love the medical ones i think stupidity and medicine are a great combination (laughs) because the stakes are clearly high and yeah the medical ones occupy my favorites but i really like the kyber Mm. carry on up the kyber and uh I like the toilet one, the the W, the w. C bogs. I quite, I like that one. Um, <laughs> Carry on, Cleo. Yeah, yes.
0: If they were making them now, Alex, you would definitely be in them. That's, <laughs> I that's... Would li-
3: I wish they would. I wish they would make a sort of a franchise of comedy farce basically the the need for farce and uh, and that sort of physical comedy i think is 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 way overdue actually just the the joy of being silly yes. the joy of silliness i think is is, is due a comeback because a lot of the comedy a lot of comedy has been sort of quite dramatic in a way it's mm. sort of there's a lot of angst attached to quite a lot of comedy these days and i think yeah a return to some Full-on silly Mm. uh, could well have a place, yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've always liked full-on silly. Yes. Okay. right. We will put the lovely carry-on films into your time capsule. Great. That's the first item. So what's number two?
3: Number two, I think would have to be my barrister's wig.
0: Oh, yeah. You're fully qualified, aren't you?
3: Fully qualified, yes, but I haven't practised for about 20 years. No. But, um, yes, I became a barrister back in, well, 20 years ago. And I was very, I'm very grateful for having the skill set that I sort of learned doing it. And I'm very grateful that I had mentally this sense of a fallback if acting didn't sort of work out. I'd always wanted to be an actor Mm. from very, very early days, even at sort of almost at nursery, I remember my first not an acting experience exactly but we were all t- we had to do an exercise where we all had to do our morning routine in terms of putting on pajamas and having breakfast and all the rest of it yeah. And I, I remember taking to it with a real just loving every second of it and that was basically sort of performance I suppose and it was since that moment I think uh I've always had a desire to to be an actor so it was mm. yes so it's, it's it goes back deep into the sort of earliest parts of my life yes and,
0: and i suppose a barrister is about as close as you can get isn't it really although it's much more serious if you're going to stand up in front of a, a jury and perform it's important you perform well and correctly and because somebody's liberty or or wealth are at stake
3: totally no absolutely but i i was very grateful for for the world of the bar because I was very nervous about trying to become an actor for a living. I knew that actually doing it to pay off your mortgage and all the rest of it is is a very sort of risky activity. So I, I, I went and joined the, the the world of the bar as a sort of, not, not exactly as a backup, because actually I, I went into doing it with every expectation of practising as a barrister and doing it for a living. But it didn't Yes, it didn't work out. I wanted the the particular branch of law I wanted to be in was uh, defamation. And there's a very, very, very discreet area of the law. There's only sort of two sets of chambers that really do it. Mm. And I thought if I don't, that's the world I want to be working in. And I didn't didn't manage to get the pupillage that you need uh, at one of those two sets. So... I did my pupillage at a couple of commercial places and then went to work as it happens in entertainment law I began instead of doing defamation I did a bit of entertainment law mm. And I remember sitting in my office and looking out the window to see uh, Orlando Bloom turning up to the premiere of <laughs> Lord of the Rings because I'd been in the National Youth Theatre with him a few years before and I saw him turn up in this huge great limousine and mm. this big premiere and I could see his the poster of his face sort of looking at me from the other side of Leicester Square because my <laughs> office was actually in Leicester Square. And I thought, no, I've got to i have got to give this a go i mean i'm not suggesting in a million years that in his pathway was my pathway (laughs) i'm just saying hang on a minute i knew him four years ago i've got to at least give it a go so i resigned or i yeah i i gave him my notice and then i basically was rather fortunate in uh meeting a casting director about three months later who got me my first job in a film and then got me my first agent So, yes, that was my sort of route into becoming an actor. Two professions,
0: though, Alex, that... uh, I mean, a pupillage as a barrister is not the best-paid job in the world, is it? No. No. And then you go into acting where, to begin with... It's almost certainly not even paid.
3: Totally. No, I mean, I, I often feel guilty because people say, oh, my gosh, you t- what a huge risk you took giving up being a barrister. But actually, it was zero risk.
1: because <laughs>
3: A, you're not earning very... I mean, it would be much more difficult to have gone into acting having done a sort of 15-year career at the bar and had a health care plan and a pension.
0: Yeah. shall I be a QC or, or shall I be an
3: actor? Right, The writing was on the wall in some ways with being a barrister because you have to do 12 dinners at the inn of court that you belong to. So every barrister belongs to one of the four inns of court. Mm. And I belong to the Middle Temple in London. And I, during the sequence of dinners that we have to take, we have to participate in, I managed to find myself, it probably was stress-related, but this ball of rice uh, as part of this (laughs) chicken supper was not going down my gullet it was it was stuck in my throat and I was like during the dinner I was trying to pretend to have a conversation all the while my throat was panicking and mm. uh, sort of creating this flux of saliva and all the rest of it and eventually I thought well i'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go and get this sorted out of the hospital. So I left the dining room, got into a cab, got taken to A&E in St Thomas's, And um, eventually this rice ball dislodged. Mm. But there is a slight postscript to this, which is they said you must go home and you should uh, go and visit your local A&E department where they can do what's called a barium meal. Mm. A barium meal is where you swallow some radioactive porridge basically and it photographs your insides to sort of see what constriction was occurring in the throat and all the rest of it
0: Mm.
3: so i had this sort of concrete uh this radioactive concrete supper (laughs) Uh, everything was photographed and i went home that night to my parents house thought nothing of it but at about two o'clock in the morning i thought oh i need to go to the toilet i need to get rid of this radioactive concrete (laughs) which i did i flushed the toilet and left and that was fine but my father went in just before he went to bed at about 3 a.m because he's a night bird and he went into the toilet and he looked in to the base into the u-bend and he could see these pieces of broken concrete so he assumed oh my gosh the u-bend is collapsing i need to sort this out so he, without a second's thought, put his bare hand straight no. into the u bend only to find it cascading into some radioactive uh, <laughs> materials. So, um, yes, the, the, the writing was rather on the wall, really. On the wall, uh, if you couldn't uh, make it through my, one
0: dinner. I yes, I couldn't make
3: it, exactly. <laughs> so put my, I would put my barrister's wig into the Titan capsule because yes. I was very grateful for it as a skill set and it was a very it's very useful to sort of have as a comfort blanket i suppose in terms of if all else sort of dried up and stopped and I have, yeah, I have great affection for the mental discipline of it. I really enjoyed the intellectual discipline of the of the world, of the bar. So, uh, yeah, so that would definitely be something. I've still got the wig. It's in a tin. It's in a... In a tin? It's in a tin, yeah.
0: A black tin, the one you used to carry
3: it in? No, I never bought that. I was, because, I mean, a barrister's wig is about, well, it was about £350 back then, 20 years ago. And so getting the tin would be a sort of another £80 or something. I can't remember what it was, but it would have been expensive. So I never had the tin. I wish I did, but nevertheless, I never I, I never did. So, no, uh,
0: quite right. Well done.
3: It's in a biscuit tin, yeah.
0: It's only to weed out the people who don't come from the right families.
3: Precisely. Well,
0: he couldn't afford the tin. Yeah,
3: exactly. He's not quite yes. one
0: of us, is it? Still in good condition?
3: It is. Yeah, it's in very good condition. Partly mm. because it was very rarely used. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did do. I was, I was in the High Court quite a few times doing what's called winding up petitions. So I would go in every Wednesday. So I had the, I did have the ability to use it quite a bit. But they're very much they're rare now. Even in, I think only in criminal trials do they actually have wigs now so it's being phased out which I think is I think it's a pity actually because I think it a lends a sort of dignity to the whole proceedings but it also is quite useful especially for criminal barristers in terms of anonymizing them yes I've got a friend who's a prosecutor and he said he's sat on trains back from court where defendants have sat in the same zone and they've not recognised that it's the same guy that's just been prosecuting them in court because he wore this wig. So it's quite a, I think they should be preserved personally, but.
0: Yes, I can see the problems of it, uh, that actually you become rather imposing. Yes. And can intimidate people. But in a way, that's sort of part of the job.
3: It's a costume that, you know, the police wear a uniform because it's, it, it, in part because it is a costume it's a it's a it's a symbol of authority or whatever so yeah
0: well the wig is going in great but it's not the gown because those gowns are almost impossible to keep up aren't they yes yes, yes. <laughs> lovely okay that's into the time capsule so we've got two things okay we've got carry on and your barrister's wig we're jumping about which is lovely we are we are <laughs> right it's time for a short break for an ad now we'll be back in the time it takes to have a very short break
1: Yeah, sorry if that turned out to be
0: a slightly longer break than you expected from a short break. These things are out of my hands. But I can take you straight back to Alex McQueen and the rest of the things he wants to put in his time capsule. So I'll do it now. Did you have a think about the thing that you'd like to get rid of? Either an event that you felt was unfair or unjust or something you know which is quite yes often. i'm
3: trying to think if i was ever if i ever felt i was unfairly treated at school the truth be told i think i was disciplined at school mm. for because i was in my in the school reports it says he was a disruptive influence in class <laughs> so i think in fairness i can't claim it would have been unjust because i was in my first school my prep school mm. i wasn't allowed to eat with the rest of the class. Because of my behaviour, was so sort of um, off the wall. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> That's quite a punishment, isn't it? To be isolated at lunch.
3: I was isolated, I mean, not every single day, but I, I do recall being, basically, I sort of did life, in many ways, the the opposite way around, in that when all the children at school were very well behaved and very good. I, in my sort of five to sort of nine period, I was, uh, yes, I was a disruptive, naughty little boy, I think, basically. (laughs) But then when everybody turned, when we all became teenagers, and everyone around me became a bit more naughty and a bit more outrageous, I became a goody-goody and a a well-behaved. So I did it, I did it sort of in reverse, I suppose. Yeah. So trying to think how, I would describe what what item I would put into the capsule to to sort of capture my school era.
0: Were you sporty at school?
3: No, not in a million years, and that's just as an example of the stupidity and naughtiness if i was forced to participate in a in a football event for example mm. i would be putting goal and i would almost invite the other side to score goals while <laughs> i wasn't there so i was a menace i was a menace <laughs> um so yes that's that, that that that's a good example of my reckless behavior at school i suppose so just returning though to what i would put in to capture my school era but at my pre-GCSE school I suppose Mm. I don't know what that would be called now but anyway my maths teacher was gravely disappointed in me as a a child gravely disappointed to the point that when my mother came to uh, the parents evening uh, my maths teacher stood at the top of the staircase and she said are you Mrs McQueen and my mother very proudly said yes yes she said I'm not talking to you (laughs) So that was the level of um, how much I was not a star in that regard, um, however, we then did an end of term school play. It was Pyramus and Thisbe. It was the the sort of play within a play in midsummer Night 's Dream, and I played bottom in that, and it was the first time I sort of acted in front of the school and with others and it went down uh, it went down very, very well, and I remember this teacher, Miss Stacy, coming round backstage afterwards to give what she she couldn't help but praise it she, she was finding it she was finding it very peculiar because normally she would be giving me the most almighty tellings off and on this occasion she was full of excitement and praise and was i mean she did at the end say I wish I just wish you would put as much care and attention into your maths as you do this uh, acting so I do recall a the feeling of popularity and B, the feeling of being redeemed, I suppose, by mm-hmm. doing this play and it working out, that probably had quite a sort of intoxicating effect in terms of, gosh, well, if this is the outcome of just messing about, because in my head it was just a bit of fun, yeah. um, this is a, this is a good thing to be doing more of, I suppose. So that school play, Pyramus and Thisbe, I would put that into my capsule actually, Pyramus and Thisbe, just because it's written into my into the into my forehead in terms of the change that it caused in my fortunes at school, I suppose. Yes. That's the best way of putting it.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? There's a strong possibility in my mind, listening to that story, that actually your maths teacher clearly felt you were capable of being really good at maths. And and as she said, if you'd only applied yourself. Yes. So maybe her frustration and her annoyance with you was, I know this boy can do this. He's just not doing it because he can't be bothered.
3: Well, yes, he's either that or just supremely distracted in the head. (laughs) By which I mean, I think, uh, looking back, I think if I do apply myself to stuff, then I can actually, uh, I can achieve sort of an outcome, basically. But I do find it a struggle, and I always have. Mm. Sort of focusing, basically, focusing for more than 20 minutes at a time has always been difficult for me, and I think just remember, especially, this is partly why I like scripts and stuff, certainly Mm. for TV and film, is that you don't, it's very disposable, what you have to learn and remember is basically for that day, so and I suppose also, as a career, you're permanently given something new to do, Mm. any job lasts a few days, and then you're on to the next one, and I think that really does appeal to my Slightly exhausted or exhausting mental attitude to things, really. I'm uh, yes. I'm. It, it works well for a mind that's a little unsettled <laughs> and hungry for new sweets all the time. Yes, yes. but know.
0: interesting that you were able to uh, take control of the complex details of the law of defamation, which is uh, not that's not easy.
3: Well, uh, the truth be told, the, the thing about the law is it's not very difficult. It's just there's lots of it.
1: <laughs> I think
3: a lot of the a lot of the concepts especially in criminal law basically all crime falls into two categories don't fight and don't cheat. <laughs> but don't be violent and don't be fraudulent. Yeah. So yeah. it's not it's ultimately not that complicated or di- it's not difficult. It's just there's so much of it you could get very easily lost in the forestry of it. Mm. So that, and it takes a mental confidence, I think, uh, more than anything else, to be able to hack your way through all the irrelevant stuff that's out there legally. So, yes, it's it's not difficult. It's just there's lots of it.
0: That's true. I do remember that from my own studies, that when I did my degree, basically, I put case law everywhere, stuck it up everywhere.
3: Did you? Yeah, right. every, all over yes. the house.
0: So for months, as I walked around the house, in fact, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, would shout from other rooms, cases. Really? Johnson's versus the Crown. And I'd say um, 1947, it was oh, a... gosh. It. So I treated it rather like learning a script, I think, yes. Right. So you're right, it was just a lot of things to put in your head
3: there's a lot of it but it's not actually all that oh my gosh this is it's definitely not chemistry or maths i do not have a mathematical mind that's for sure
0: well then she was wrong you couldn't have done it
3: miss stacy was i mean it was a miss it would be misplaced her enthusiasm for my ability was misplaced
0: did you ever nickname her miss Stakey? i like do you it. see where i've gone yes but we Thank used you. to call
3: her starch <laughs> because she would wear quite starched clothes and uh, this was her nickname at school anyway she she'd threatened to call up my parents because of my just poor quality at maths and this had been going on for a few weeks this threat to call and eventually she did call the home and my mum answered and uh, she said it's Miss Stacy." so my mum ran through to my dad and said oh Johnny, it's Starch. Starch (laughs) is on the phone. And my father then went to the phone and picked it up very sort of dignifiedly. and said, hello, Miss Starch. And she said, it's not Starch, it's Miss Stacey. So anyway, uh, yes, that was revealed.
0: Well, then we should put Pyramus and Thisbe into the time capsule for you. Let's
3: put Pyramus and Thisbe into the bargain. Yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. Good. So that's three lovely things we've got so far. Then, What's your fourth item?
3: Two possibilities Mm -hmm. um one I mean this is really an experience I suppose of realizing I suppose how lucky you are but I go I go to Lourdes in the south of France once a year to sort of work in a hospital there for a week looking after people who are very sort of poorly Mm. um and I think in terms of the memory of that I would want to put that into my capsule just because it was incredibly valuable in resetting fifteen years of frankly self-obsession <laughs> and uh, uh, what's the word? Being yes. an actor. Uh, being an actor, <laughs> That'll be it, yes. we, we are self. We, we. 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 I suppose we have to be ambitious and driven because otherwise you won't be able to pay your bills and. All the rest of it. So, you've got to, if, you, if you're going to run your own business, you've got to be quite determined, I suppose, and be fearless in pursuing an opportunity, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But that can easily tumble into sort of. Self-importance and self-obsession, I suppose, quite quickly and easily, and especially in our particular kingdom of acting, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very, very easy to be plumped up into sort of a, a sense of far more importance than you actually earn or or or, or are entitled to. Indeed. Just in, just in terms of the way we're treated, you know, we're picked up in these sort of uh, chauffeur-driven cars to take us to sets, etc., <laughs> etc., and it's very easy, I think, to suddenly become. Um, uh, wrapped up in the the funfair of it all and think, oh yes, what, why, what I'm doing is important and all the rest of it. And I think going to Lourdes and working there, uh, even just for the week, was an incredibly valuable moment in resetting just how, A, lucky... I am just a bit of walk frankly yes. from one room to the other is like oh wow this is su- I am seriously lucky to be able to do that let alone all the other wonderful things we have uh, going for us in life and also just to remind oneself how important kindness and compassion is there are people the people who I was working alongside out there the real sort of the actual nurses mm. the nursing staff the fact that they do what they do so selflessly and for such little reward in some ways compared financially, uh, I'm I'm talking about, Mm. made me think, gosh, I've forgotten just how lucky I am, basically. So I think my experiences in Lourdes, sort of observing how other people look after people and how kind they can be and how compassionate... Is really, really valuable, especially in in a world where we, be, in my world, where we can become. Very, very, as I say, self-obsessed. And
0: Did you choose Lourdes because of a religious belief as well?
3: Well, yeah, so I, I'm Catholic by background and uh, that, that sort of that goes in peaks and troughs of devotion. Sometimes <laughs> I'm highly sort of devoted and other times I'm always a little bit more sort of questioning and sceptical. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, it's, it's in my DNA, as it were, in terms of it's, it's something I've been brought up with from day one and I, I take huge, huge comfort from it. I divorce... Religion and faith, they're two separate things, really. Mm-hmm. My faith, in some ways, is much more important than my religion. Yes. My religion is just the sort of useful means by which I can <laughs> experience that faith or, or, or. Yes, basically. Yeah.
0: I mean, and in fact, if you're going to see the two extremes of uh, Catholicism, Lourdes is a great place to see it. That You will see the the excesses of iconography and uh, uh, things like that. Indeed. And then the wonderful, as you say, devotion of people. My mother was a nurse and a Catholic, and she went to Lourdes regularly.
3: Oh, did she? Oh, wonderful.
0: Yeah. Often on on hospital buses, so she would go with extremely ill people (sighs) to go to Lourdes. But she also had a great and absolute faith in the fact that that going there might produce a miracle
3: yes i mean it's a, it's very delicate that, that's a very delicate sort of path we have to tread as in no we we don't say to people come because if you come with us you will walk away here mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. we would never ever do that in a million years but the spiritual uh i don't know what the word is just the the spiritual color you get from going there and the the Just the levels of love and kindness Mm. uh, can last you for the whole year, basically. You can bring it back with you. And you just, yes, it really does reset the way you treat other people and how so few things are actually all that important. Mm -hmm. In the context of what you see out there, I went along actually in some ways with sort of my own worries about I, I, I suffered quite a bit from OCD and things like that. And I went along thinking, how the hell am I going to be able to shower somebody? There's no way I can go into a toilet and have to look after someone in that regard. That's just going to do my head. I can't do it. (laughs) I certainly can't wash someone's teeth. And then on my second day there, I was forced to have, not forced, because uh, I was forced, just because of the circumstances, to have to help someone, albeit with another nurse, in a shower scenario, which went terribly (laughs) badly wrong in terms of functions and all the rest of it. And it was... I, I, I couldn't have... All my OCD fears could not have been more uh, pronounced and uh, exaggerated as a result of that. But as a result, I I I have to say, that aspect of my life was very much calmed. Mm. The whole OCD issue was very much reset, actually, because I was thrown into a scenario where, yes, I was forced to confront these demons, as it were, that were in my head. How
0: interesting. So you go somewhere with the aim and the intention of going because you think, well, I need to do something for somebody else. I need to go and help someone. I need to show some kindness in my life. Yeah. And then you go there yes. and the effect is on you.
3: Oh, Totally. Uh, I, I, again, I feel a bit guilty because people say, oh, gosh, uh, what a good thing to do. Well, no, I actually got more out of it and get more out of it than I give without a shadow of a doubt. And I feel, you know, I, I do feel sort of, oh, gosh, that's not how it's meant to be. But actually, a lot of the people who go there do come back and they feel they've got more out of it than they've actually given. Mm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really wonderful experience and a wonderful place. And uh Yes, yeah, socially, it's brilliant, too. I mean, we work very hard. We have to work, yeah, you know, we're up at... We normally go to bed at about 2.30 in the morning. We're up at 6.30 for the shift. God, yeah, wow. so... So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the world of Lourdes. So I would put Lourdes into my capsule, I think. Yeah. Is that what I was saying? Yeah, yeah, basically? absolutely. Yeah. Yes.
0: The trips there. The, the trips, l- yeah. But Lourdes is a place. I mean, why not? It is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? I mean, as I say, it has that ridiculous contrast of over-commercialism.
3: Totally.
0: And yet this extraordinary effect on people. Yes. I've seen both sides of it. My mother's come back with the most ridiculous things. Oh, yeah, totally. Stuck them on the wall, you know, and thought they were gorgeous. Right. But at the same time, she came back absolutely exhausted, having spent, you know, two weeks hardly sleeping. Yes. And I don't think it's because she was staying out having a drink particularly, but it might have been. It might have been. Yes. I hope it was. And yet completely refreshed as a person. Yes. Marvellous. I'm glad we spoke of that. That's great. These things are inadvertent sometimes. Yes. Strange connections between people, the thing that you would never know. There have been several things you've said today where I sort of go, oh, no, I absolutely understand that world. My father had offices in the Middle Temple just around the corner from the main square. Oh, really? Yes, we just outside the hall, you know, where the pond
3: is. I know, exactly, yes. To yeah.
0: me, Christmas is walking through the Middle Temple and the man lighting the gas lamps. Oh, lovely. Yeah.
3: They still have those yeah. gas Don't lamps. they just? Yeah, it's exactly. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: So yes, we'd found these uh, these amazing connections in all sorts of areas.
3: Yes, we have. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
0: So we got one more thing to put into the time capsule.
3: One more. Well, my final item would be a red telephone box outside the English department at Durham University, because that is really how I managed to become an actor. Proper. Or oh, rather, not proper. Uh, I never, one should never start with a proper <laughs> actor to get a grip. But uh, yeah, that's how I got into it, basically. So I was in the, I, as I say, I was in the National Youth Theatre. Mm. And I was doing a production of Julius Caesar with Tuartel for, mm. And I had a tiny part. I had ten lines at the very beginning and for the rest of the show i was pretty bored <laughs> bored stiff <laughs> and backstage one night i was flicking through one of the props it was uh julius caesar's sort of paperwork binder and as i was flicking through it i realized that they'd stuffed the prop with um carbon copies of letters sent to the uh Famous patrons, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, all sorts of people, John Gilgood, And I looked at these addresses and thought, now, hang on a minute. <laughs> they could be very, very useful to a person. <laughs> and I, and I, was about, I was just about to go to Durham University. Mm. And I thought, oh, when I get there, I would definitely want to put on my own play. So i tell you what I'll do. I'll make notes of these addresses. And I'll write to them when I get to university and say, could you help me? Could you give me some money? So that's what I did. So that folder was shut. I went to Durham University and I wrote to the various people. uh, And some of them responded very, very kindly. John Gilgood sent a a cheque for £100, etc., etc. But a couple of other people... did not respond so well. And they forwarded my letters to the National Youth Theatre and said, what the hell are you doing giving out our private names and addresses? So the National Youth Theatre wrote to me and said, we've had these complaints. You should now consider yourself an ex-member of the National (laughs) Youth Theatre. So I was basically expelled from the National Youth Theatre. So for three years at Durham, I was not in the NYT. Anyway, at the end of my experience at Durham... I was thinking, what will I do? What will I do with the summer that's coming up? I tell you what, I'm going to audition again for the National Youth Theatre. I'll just give it a go. So I rang up the National Youth Theatre from this telephone box outside the English Department, and I got through. and I said, "Oh, are there any um, places available for this uh, this summer's show? Can I can I audition?" And um, the voice on the end said, "Is that you, Alex?" <laughs> And I said, yeah. She said, oh, it's hi, it's me, it's Sam. It was a friend of mine from the from the National Youth. She was doing some work in the office. She said, oh, well, lovely to hear your voice. What a treat. Listen, i tell you what, we are actually completely booked up, but pop down on this, this Saturday and we can fit you in at the end at six o'clock. You'll be fine. Come down. I said, oh, that's brilliant. <coughs> Thanks so much. And I put the phone down. Anyway, in the office was the manager who'd sacked me and he said to my friend was that Alex as in Alex McQueen and she said yes he said oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> Ring him straight back and tell him he's not to come and he's not welcome uh? but because it was a red telephone box there was no way of actually returning the call so I still went down to the audition on the Saturday I messed the audition up in terms of forgot lines and messed up my props, but this was perfect for the part they wanted me for, <laughs> which is Rodrigo in Othello. So I was given the part and all was forgiven. And it's because I rejoined the National Youth Theatre that I got my first agent basically it was because of that that i managed to get an agent that that red telephone box is quite a i have a huge affection for it because if it hadn't been for that i may not have i certainly wouldn't have got back into the MIT. and uh
0: no young actor will have that the mobile phone that we straight back onto them how awful
3: totally yeah so i would put that into i want that in the capsule that red telephone box yes it saved my bacon
0: Definitely. It's, it's absolutely brilliant thing to put in there. Yeah. I was just explaining to my grandson just the other day, we walked past a red telephone box. And he said to me, what's that, granddad? Oh, really? I said, it's a telephone box that used to go in there to make phone calls. And he, of course, looked at me as if I was mad, because why would you take your phone into a box to make a phone call? That's what he imagined. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The only thing I know about Durham University is yes. that you were never stupid enough to run across the bridge. Oh,
3: yes, mm. Elvet Bridge, mm. I think. Oh, is it Elvet Bridge or Kingsgate Bridge?
0: You're supposed to climb onto the parapet.
3: Incredibly dangerous and would result in probably death yes. if it went wrong, yes. <laughs> I didn't do it. No, definitely not, yeah. No, I lo- I loved mm. Durham. I have to say I was very lucky to go there. Loved it. Beautiful. Really good fun. In fact, that red telephone box, I'm very pleased it goes in because it, it connects me to those three years there which were... I hate to say, oh, they're the best years of your life because you're very. Everyone's lucky if they've got a heartbeat going for them. But there was something so nourishing and rich about that era that I still, yeah, it still drives me to this day. Actually, it's a battery pack that I sort of <laughs> take with me throughout life in a way. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because as you get older, I suppose all experiences become they just there's less that's new whereas at, at that age at between 18 and 21 at uni everything is exponentially new and it's such a it's such an exciting time yeah
0: fantastic and there we are well i'll put that lovely classic red telephone box into the corner yes and of course you know you can make other phone calls from it it's a very useful thing to have
3: thank you that's great
0: yes well there we are alex it's really gorgeous talking to you really interesting oh splendid and lovely to discover these connections that we've had
3: yes i know i'm delighted too i had no idea <laughs> so thank you very much
0: You have been listening to my time capsule. So sorry if for some reason you were expecting an audiobook of far from the madding crowd. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens and my guest was the lovely Alex McQueen. If you enjoyed it, then you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do rate or review the show if you get the chance. And you can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And the theme tune is available in full on Spotify. It was written by Pass the Peas Music. This has been a cast-off production, and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. If you didn't enjoy it... Ignore everything I've just said. You can't subscribe, and there's no way you will be allowed to underrate us or leave a crap review. It's against the law to follow people without their permission. And the theme tune is by Law Protected. And I've no idea who produced this thing. In fact, I have nothing to do with it. All right? Now, get back to your tedious audiobook and leave me alone. Bye. Bye.